Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, welcome. Turn, wave at someone, let them know you're glad that they're here. Um, tell you what, I am excited about today's message, and I'm a little bit nervous. Here's why. If I tell you that the ancient Israelites did something wrong, how many of you get offended? Nobody. But when we apply Scripture to our lives, when we start looking at how the Word applies to the decisions that we make, sometimes... Maybe it's not you, but sometimes people get a little bit uncomfortable, irritated, and you might even call it offended. Today might be one of those days. 20 years ago and one day, what happened? That was 9-11, and we had what is considered still to be the largest terrorist attack on U.S. soil. What is the point of a terrorist attack? To bring fear. To bring fear. The concept of a terror attack is that, hey, we're going to pick some random civilian target so that every civilian fears that maybe they are equally vulnerable to whatever they saw. 20 years later, we still remember and we're still in a fight against terror, against fear. Interestingly, though, we, we focus as if our enemy was something else. Now, I want to show you a cover of Newsweek magazine from last month. Can you guys get that up? Here's what it says, if you can't read it very well. It says, the doomsday variant. COVID keeps mutating into scary new threats. How worried should you be? This is, this is the, the cover. Now, what's interesting, if you actually go in and read the article, it says, yes, COVID is continuing to mutate. There isn't a doomsday variant yet, but we can't rule out that there might be. Okay? Why did they put that on the cover? They wanted to scare. And I mean, it says COVID keeps, in case you didn't know, how to feel about a doomsday variant, they put it right in there, mutating into scary new threats. And then they don't say, should we be worried? They say, well, how worried should we be? The, the idea is that fear is really for sale. My goal today is not to be political. My goal is to be spiritual. My goal is to talk about what God says about it. We should have questions. I like to use this example. 72. How many of you care about the number 72? Nobody. 72 is how many inches tall I am. If, if you asked me how tall are you and I said I'm six foot, I'm 72 inches, you would be, oh, okay, thank you. But if I'm giving you answers to questions you haven't asked, you don't care. Okay? 
I want to, to bring the, the, the scriptural answers to the questions that our society is bringing up to us right now. So the reason that I'm bringing up the, the political things that are happening in our life isn't because I'm trying to be political. I'm not trying to promote one party. I'm not even trying to tell you how to vote or think politically. But what I want to do is I want to answer with Scripture the questions that our society is asking of us. And right now, our society is asking us, how worried should I be? How afraid should I be? I'm going to show you a couple of, of, of excerpts here. There was an article about, they, they studied 540,667 COVID deaths, a year's worth. And they looked at the, the comorbidities. So if you haven't followed this in the news, <clears throat> the average number of comorbidities for a, a COVID death is four. One study said 96% of all COVID deaths have uh, a comorbidity. Um, you could think of it this way. COVID is the medical straw that breaks the back. There's usually something else already there. So they looked at over a half a million COVID deaths and said, these are the most common other factors. If you see here, show me the, the next slide that's underlined in red. The top other factor was obesity with 30%. The second highest was anxiety and fear-related disorders. So according to science, fear is one of the greatest teammates of COVID in killing people. COVID isn't even doing it by itself. Most of the time. It's doing it along with something else. The correlation, that's science saying that fear becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. In 1933, FDR said famously, he said, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. That was FDR, 1933. How does, how does that affect us? I want to show one last article. And this article was talking about the prevalence of depressive and anxiety symptoms in children and adolescents during COVID-19. And in their conclusion, they said that their data suggests that one in four youth globally are experiencing clinically elevated depression symptoms as a result of COVID-19. What does that mean? That means one out of four kids, according to these people, are, the lesson they're learning is so much to be afraid that they are demonstrating clinical depression, and anxiety because they're believing that fear is the right answer. Now, as I said before, my goal isn't to get super political, but I want to point something out. No matter which side you are on, both sides are afraid. You have one side 
that is afraid of COVID, the disease. They're afraid, even, even though it may have less than a 1% fatality, but depending on, on where you are, and, and you know what? If you lost someone to, that you care about to COVID, it doesn't, the statistics don't matter anymore. That hurts. That's nothing to be trivialized. Is there a legitimate sickness out there? Yes, there is. And some, for some, the fear of that sickness drives them to extreme action. On the other side, people fear that the cure might be worse than the disease. They're afraid of side effects, known and unknown, from the vaccine. They're afraid of loss of liberty and government overreach or the suppression of successful treatments other than the vaccine. These people are afraid. Now, as you listen, you might be able to figure out which side of the, which of those fears I'm most tempted to be concerned by. But that isn't my point. My point isn't which thing has you afraid. We want to talk about fear itself and what our response to those situations is supposed to be. So, if you're tempted to get offended because you think I might be afraid of the thing that you're less afraid of than the thing that I'm not as much afraid of, hold off for a second because that's really not my point. Okay, I want to talk about how do we face down fear regardless of which source you find the scariest. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall, that's a very large storm, came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, were the disciples facing a legit situation? Was, was, the, was the situation real? It was. The Bible says it was a serious storm. It was a, a, a furious squall in this particular translation. They had water coming in the boat. There was a real issue. Don't you care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? I believe that if Jesus was here today, going through the situations that we're in, if he was reading the, the articles that we're reading, if he was seeing this thing, he would look at us and he would say, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And our answer would be, because stuff is happening. Don't you see that there's water in the boat? Don't you see that there's a serious storm going on? It's interesting that immediately following his statement about their fear, he then asks them about their faith. I thought about naming today's message, 
faith over fear. But then I realized that that particular statement, as much as I love it, has already been kind of branded with a particular political perspective that, though I may or may not share it, I didn't necessarily want to be the banner for today's message. He associated faith with fear. Well, what is faith? Hebrews 11, chapter 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope and the assurance about what we do not see. That's faith. And fear is pretty much the opposite. Has, you, has anyone ever, have you ever heard that said, that fear is faith in reverse? Let's, let's look at the scripture and just read it as though it was describing fear. It would, I would say it this way. Now fear is confidence in what we dread and assurance about negative things we do not see. That's what fear is. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Fear is confidence in what we dread and assurance about the negative things we do not see. There's another storm in Matthew 14, 26. When the disciples, and this is when Jesus had walked, the, the disciples got in a boat and they went out. Jesus stayed behind and he comes walking on the water. And the Bible says he didn't walk to the boat. It says he was passing them by. Like he was headed to the other side. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But... When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. This reminds me of the confidence that little kids get when their parents are around. You know, when, when you encourage them to try something and they're like, well, will you come with me? I'll do it if you're there. Why? Because kids trust their parents to protect. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to take a risk if I know you're there to take care of me if I slip, if I fall, if, if something goes wrong. And it could be something, you know, as like jumping off of a, a ledge. You know, hey, come here, come here. Come jump, jump down from there. Come, I'll catch you. To, you know, the kids going and, and they want to, to purchase a popsicle. And what do they want? They want their parents alongside of them as they do it. Because it gives them strength. It gives them faith in themselves, faith in the situation, that this is going to turn out okay. I, I want you there. We are to be focused 
on Jesus. Fear comes when we focus on the wrong thing. The disciples were focused on the negative outcomes. Peter was walking on water. But when he took his focus off of Jesus and put it on the waves, the Bible says he began to sink. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Hopefully we think of the other scripture that says, God is love. When we are focused on God, we are focused on love. And the Bible says there is no fear there. First, or 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. You may know the, the, the verse in another translation, but God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind is the way I memorized it growing up. It's interesting that not having a spirit of fear is right there. Like, you don't have that. What do you have? Self-control? How does self-control have anything to do with fear? We tend to associate fear as an emotion we have no control over. We think fear is just an emotion. If I'm afraid, I, I, had, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. I'm just afraid. But God says he has not given us a spirit of fear. Instead, he gave us self-control. Does, how does self-control have anything to do with fear. Because, let's go to Peter. Peter was walking on water. And then, he took his focus off of God, and he put it on the waves. And then he began to sink. Because when he chose, he used his self-control to remove his focus from God he put it on the waves, that's when fear got a hold of him. That's when faith slipped away. Fear is a result of where we focus. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Translation. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice, or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Interesting how it gets phrased there. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 8, it says, finally, brothers, 
and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The Bible tells us where we're supposed to focus our thoughts. He says, these are the things that you're supposed to think on. We go to the checkout line. We see the, the doomsday variant cover there. How worried should I be? I don't know. How worried should I be? I'm going to go get that. And so we get that. We pick that up, and, and we read through it, and we're like, well, 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 there's, there's not a doomsday variant yet, but there could be. I'm going to focus my thoughts there. You know, it is, it is not, there, there is a innate fear. The psychologists say you're born with two fears. Fear of falling and fear of loud noises. Everything else is learned. I, I have a friend who came from a South American country. In that country where he lives, frogs are poisonous. So he grew up very afraid of frogs. Here in Michigan, frogs are not poisonous. They're funny. They're cute. You know, I caught frogs all the time as a kid. I regret to inform you that we used to tease him because he was so easily afraid of frogs. He, and, and I, I thought it was so ridiculous. How can you be afraid of such a simple little thing? And, and he, even a plastic frog would give him anxiety. Like, we had this little plastic frog, and we'd just, like, toss it. <laughs> he, he would get all nervous. Now, some of you feel the same way about snakes. Because we grew up someplace where snakes could legitimately be dangerous. He, he learned to be afraid of frogs because where he was, frogs had the potential to harm or kill him. Where I grew up, they didn't. Recognizing danger and avoiding it is the purpose of, of real fear. I don't want to burn my hand. I don't touch fire. I don't want to be bitten by a poisonous snake. I don't just grab at every snake I see. But when we go a step beyond, when we begin to focus on that, I'm going to read a few scriptures about fear, and I want you to look for the theme. Isaiah 35, 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will save you. Psalms 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley, or through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalms 118.6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Has, are you noticing something? It keeps saying, don't fear, I'm there. Don't fear, I'm I'm coming. Don't fear. Salvation is coming. He, he keeps saying, you don't have to be afraid. You should be focused on the fact that you know I'm there. I'm with you. 
Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So, it's in, as a result of knowing that he'll never leave me or forsake me, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, in the context of all that, I got you guys all hyped up. We're, we're ready. What can mere mortals do to me? I mean, the, the, you know, in the hype of it, it's like nothing. But wait a minute. Can mere mortals do anything? They could actually kill me dead. Do you guys remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When they were told by the king, you need to bow down to that idol, or I'm throwing you in the furnace. And they said, our God is capable of saving us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship that idol. See, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had their focus on God. It doesn't mean they didn't recognize that there was any possibility for anything negative to ever happen. But they had a godly perspective. They said, you know, what Paul says it this way. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He had a healthy perspective. Psalms. 94, 19 says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Matthew 10, 28 says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Did you catch that? The Bible actually said this is what you should be afraid of. There is such a thing as a legitimate fear. But that's not what we focus on. First Chronicles 28.20, David also said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple and the Lord is finished. Fear is a result of what we focus on. Faith is a result of what we focus on. Fear is when I look at a situation and I confidently expect the negative possibilities. They're not there yet, but I confidently expect them. Faith is when I look at the situation and I confidently expect the positive. Now, We've had this conversation before. It's not in my notes, but I want to make this clarity. A lot of times people have the idea that faith is just like, you know, just expecting something good no matter what. 
They kind of like, you know what? I expect my Ford Focus in my garage to turn into a Ferrari. I, is that faith? If every morning I would do a double check just to see if my car turned into a Ferrari this morning, because I would really like that. No. Faith isn't that. Faith looks at an acorn and expects it to become a tree. If I look at that, that's faith. I plant an acorn and I expect a giant tree. Faith stands on God's promises. Faith looks at what God has said about me, about my life, about my future, about his plans for me, about his desires for me, and says, hey, I recognize that God's word is a part of this situation. When, when we have a promise from God, that turns our situation from being wishing a marble into a tree into an acorn. It is God's promises. It is our knowledge that he is faithful and that he has shown us his will for our lives and given us promises about protection, etc. That is what we put our faith in. We're not imagining that a marble is going to turn into an oak tree or that a Ford Focus is going to turn into a Ferrari in my garage. What I am trusting is that God, in his supernatural power, will keep his word. That's not illogical. That's faith. And it's based on God's words and his promises, and we can see over and over what he has done to make a difference. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? It's kind of the theme of today. What then should we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of, the, of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or COVID or nakedness or danger or sword? No. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor COVID, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is how we focus. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I, I want to read an excerpt from a book. How many of you have ever heard of C.S. Lewis? How many have ever heard of the Screwtape Letters? Okay. 
it's a weird book because it's, it's written as if there is a, it's a fiction, work of fiction, that C.S. Lewis wrote. And he was, in this book, it's like a series of letters written between an apprentice demon and like a journeyman demon, like the supervisor demon. And so this demon will write to his supervisor and say stuff like, well, the human I'm assigned to torment and whatnot just joined a church. What do I do? And he responds and says, well, don't worry about that. It's not the end of everything just because he goes to church. Here's what you need to do. Distract him. Keep him focused on what they're wearing and what the other church members are doing and get him to not focus on what's being taught or on God. Just get him to focus on the other people in the room. Right? So he, he writes this book from the perspective of a demon. And as we read it, we're supposed to kind of bit of reverse psychology and recognize, hey, I see the ways that the enemy is doing in my life, okay? Can you kind of picture the perspective here? So I'm going to read you an excerpt from that book. Remember, this is the supervisor demon responding to the other demon, and this is what he says. He says, oh, I'm delighted to hear that your patient, which is what he calls the human he was assigned to, to torment, your patient's age and profession make it possible, but by no means certain that he will be called up for military service. So remember, this is written in the time of World War. We want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear. He says, I want you. It's a good thing that he doesn't even know if or if he isn't going to be drafted into the war. Because I want him to be in a maximum sense of, sense of insecurity, wondering about all these possibilities. He says, there is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy, which is God in this situation. Because God wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what might happen. It is our business to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross, but only the things that he's afraid of. Let him regard them as crosses. Let him forget that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him. And let him try to practice fortitude and patience to all of them in advance. Let me translate that for a second. He says, make people forget that the things they're thinking of, the things they're afraid of, can't even all happen at the same time. Oh, I'm afraid I might be, be you know, struck by lightning. I'm afraid I might die of COVID. I'm afraid I might die of cancer. I'm afraid. Well, you can only die once. But you're afraid of all of them. He says, we want, we want people to be emotionally drained by multiple possibilities that couldn't even happen. All of them. Even if, even if something terrible happened, it wouldn't be all of it. They can't even happen altogether. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this. We all experience times of testing. I'm reading from the, the Passion Translation. Which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided you a way of escape that will bring you out of it 
victoriously. Now, God has promised that he will provide for what comes. The problem is we get ahead of him and we want him to provide for all of the possibilities that might come. Do you follow the difference? God says, I will provide for what comes. Think of it this way. If you were shopping for a vehicle and you went and you looked at this SUV and they said, well, the payment on that is $400 a month. And you're like, well, I might want that. They're like, okay, we'll start paying us $400 a month. Okay, $400 a month. Then you go look at another one. You're like, oh, I like that one. Well, that payment is $300 a month. Okay, I'm going to pay on that. And then, oh, and then I like that one. Oh, I'm going to pay on that. And so now you've got five car payments and you're paying on them. And, and you know what? Your parents said they'd cover a payment for you. But now you've got five car payments. You don't even have a car yet. That's what fear is like. Fear looks into the future and confidently expects that which it dreads. It confidently expects all of these things. And as, as the screw tape letters pointed out, most of the time they couldn't even simultaneously occur. We're afraid of things that couldn't even all happen at once. Now, God has promised to, to give us the strength for whatever it is we actually deal with, but we're over here paying interest on, on all of these loans that haven't even, we don't even have the car. We're, we're paying in, in confident expectation of negative things. Whereas, and how could, oh, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed. Yes. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Why? Because you're going to need self-control to shut off all of those confident expectations that didn't even happen. That's what it looks like to have faith. To say, you know what? I don't expect everything I dread to come to pass. But I trust that anything undesirable that does come to pass, God will provide a way through for me. So I'm not going to waste my time fearing and expecting and dreading things that haven't even happened. That, 1 Peter 6, 7, says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. That's what it looks like. We're not accepting emotional delivery of all of these things that haven't happened yet. Oh, what if, what if my spouse treats me wrong and leaves me someday? I don't know what I can do about that. Did they leave you? No. You, you want to know how often people leave relationships just in fear that it's going to go bad? They get so caught up in, in the future. This is going to go bad. It's eventually going to go bad. I, be, I better get out before it gets any worse. 
And then they leave. They were self-sabotaged by their faith in the negative thing that was going to happen, which isn't faith, it's fear. When we, when we see a possibility and then we take emotional delivery of that possibility, when we read the headline, Doomsday Variant, you know what, what's actually happening? People are putting that out into the future and saying, okay, if there is a doomsday variant, then eventually I'm going to get it or my friends are going to get it or my family is going to get it or somebody I love is going to get it and then they're going to die and then, and then, and then. And then they're overcome with fear. God has not given us, say it with me, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Yes. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to expect the worst and then pay the price for what hasn't even happened yet. I mean, think about that. From that perspective, I don't know, for me, that is so big to recognize that most of the time the thing that we're fearing doesn't even come and then when something challenging does come it's like we've spent all our emotional energy on the things that never came and we don't have anything left to deal with what little thing did come along we're just wiped out because we we expended all of our emotional energy dealing with the stuff that we wouldn't even have to deal with. And God's up there going, listen, I gave you more than enough to handle what you was actually coming. You just spent it on what wasn't going to be there. Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom Shall I be afraid? That's what it looks like to have the right focus. When you're like, wait a minute. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who am I afraid of? First Peter 3, 13 through 14 says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to good? But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Acts chapter 27, 23 through 26. We've talked about various different storms, and we're going to close with this one. Last night, an angel of the, of, the Lord, or of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood behind me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run around on some island. Paul was a prisoner on a ship. They were going through a storm. Everyone was afraid. Everyone was, was convinced that their, their hearts were full of the many, many, many possibilities that could take place. It's interesting that God didn't just say to Paul, speak to the storm and to be gone. 
But he encouraged Paul. He said, you will get through this. And in fact, I'm giving you the lives of everyone else there. Now, Paul was shipwrecked. Their ship broke apart in the storm. It went down. They ended up on an island. That's, that's when, when he was collecting wood and he goes to, to put some wood on the fire and an extremely poisonous snake jumps out of the, the, the stuff and bites him and everyone assumes that he's going to die. Did Paul face some stuff? Absolutely. But Paul did it with the assurance that he would get through it. And so the angel told him, don't be afraid. You see, we can, we can face life, even life's challenges, without fear. When we have our focus on God. When we recognize, you know what, I'm not going to take emotional delivery on all these negative possibilities to be out there. That is a waste of time and energy. Completely. I will use the self-control that God has given me to focus my thoughts, to remove my thoughts. There will be times you will need to say to yourself, cut that out. Quit it. Don't watch that news reel. Don't read that article. Don't, don't mull over that one that you already read. Don't do that. Don't focus on that. Focus on what you know is for you. Put your focus on God. You don't have to be afraid. Even when stuff is happening. Because God says, I will give you the strength to deal with what's actually happening. And then you, you can go like Paul did. Yep, he had, he had a rough couple of weeks there. He was a part of a shipwreck. He was bitten by a snake. He ended up there and he ended up on. What he knew is God has a purpose for me and he will fulfill that purpose and I just get to walk along and know that that is my, that is my future. My future is, is filled by God's promises. So I'm not afraid of what comes along the way. I'll continue forward. I'm going to close with John 4, 16. It says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how, we love, how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you know our situations, that you have promised to, to be with us through whatever situation we are facing. Lord, we recognize that some of us have been tempted to, to focus on negative possibilities, to have be soaked in fear, the opposite of faith, expecting those negative outcomes, many of which will never, ever come. Lord, I just pray that you would give us wisdom, wisdom to use our self-control, to redirect our focus, redirect our thoughts to you. Lord, get them out of the gutter, get them out of those negative future outcomes to focus on you. 
We thank you for it. We thank you for your love, for your provision, for your protection, for your healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're here today and you know that your sins are forgiven and you're right with God, I want you to raise your hands. Praise God. If you want to know, the Bible says you can know that you have salvation. It doesn't say wait and die in hope. It says no. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, but if you believe with your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. If that's you and you want to make that declaration and accept that forgiveness and know that your sins are forgiven, I want to invite you with every eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Because if that's you, I want to do that today with you. If you're watching online, just repeat as we pray together. Dear God, I believe you have a future for me. That you died on the cross so my sins would be forgiven. And you rose from the dead. I accept your forgiveness. I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that was you, please send us a note. Let us know. If you're here in person, come find me down front. I have a gift I'd like to give you. If you're online, I'll give you that same gift in a digital copy. So please let us know. We look forward to seeing you. Next time.